Yelp Designs. Oi! This episode of the Brutal Reality Digest Online Podcast is brought to you by New World Designs, Vancouver's finest selection of retro-inspired fashion. Located on West Hastings Street, New World is locally owned and operated in just plain radical. They strive to bring the best in vintage reproduction brands such as Collective, Voodoo Vixen, Hell Bunny, Band Apparel, Betty Page Clothing, and more. They can also hook you up with accessories like jewelry from local designers. Aw, yeah! New World Designs is also a recognized safe place by the Vancouver Police Department, as they are inclusive to all who wish to embrace this retro look. Don't live in Vancouver? Unfortunately, neither do I. Luckily, New World Designs now offers an online store. That's right. Head on over to nwdvan.com and she can ship your groovy new clothing right to your door. Still not satisfied? Tell your pals at Brutal Reality Digest sent you by using the coupon code STAYRAD and get a 10% discount. Now that's a spanking deal, folks. Once again, that's nwdvan.com or if you're lucky enough to live right in Vancouver, head on down to 434 West Hastings Street and say hello to Jen and her lovely crew. That's New World Design. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutal Reality Digest online podcast, also known as Bird Drop. And I'm pleased to welcome my fellow brute, first of all, Mr. Parker Vokaroth. How you doing there, buddy? Uh, you know, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, you're keeping safe there in Olds? Doing my best. Hell yeah, man. How, would, how about you welcome our very special guest to the show? We have an, a very talented and very insightful author, CJ. Welcome to the show, CJ. How are you doing tonight? Hi, thanks. I'm doing pretty good. I'm sitting on my couch with my cat, safe from the winter outside. Life is pretty sweet. Perfect. You have a hot beverage with you as well? I did, but I have to confess that that went back pretty quickly. <laughs> I think I saw that on your bio that you're always going to have a cat nearby and possibly a hot cup of joe, so... I did write that, and it is perennially accurate. (laughs) Except when you already drank it. Yeah. And you need more. (laughs) There'll be another one on the way. (laughs) So where's your favorite uh, place to grab a cup of joe in Red Deer? Oh, shout out to Cafe Vero. Okay, where's that place? uh, It's corner of 40th and 39th. uh, It used to be Apple Drugs, now it's Eastview Drugs, and they've got a little cafe in there. Oh, kind of by East 40th. Uh, yeah, couches and Wi-Fi, and they let me sit there and type away on my laptop. So uh, definitely parts of uh, the novel that I published, parts of it, parts of them were written in Cafe Vero and parts at uh, Baby Cakes Cupcakery. Oh, perfect. It's not too far from my neck of the woods, so I think Parker used to live kind of over by there when he was a Red Deer in there briefly. Yeah, I did. <laughs> And that place is also attached to a pharmacy, if I'm not incorrect. Like the yep. Cafe Vero. So, you know, you get a headache or, you know, need a pack of Kleenex. You're right there. Get Honestly, that place is good for little eccentric gifts if you need stuff at various times of the year. Good to know. Cafe Vero. <laughs> yeah. there, you're welcome, Vero. <laughs> yeah. They better pay us for this. 
So yeah, well, you mentioned your book. So for the folks at home, I'm going to try to pronounce it, and I already forget because I'm a big, big dumb idiot. But I'm going to give it another go. In veritas, is that right? That is correct. You've done it. <laughs> okay, so I just kind of uh, full disclosure. I'm, I'm I plan on reading it, but I have not read it. Parker, have you read it? <laughs> I have not either. <laughs> it's on the list. It's a big list, so I'm going to make it there eventually. But. I kind of took a look at your Goodreads rating, and it's pretty good. Like, what is it, 4.2 out of 5? So it's oh, being good. well I received. I try not to look at Goodreads, so thank <laughs> you. Well, it's good. I got good news from Goodreads. <laughs> and it kind of just, how it described it, one of the one of the reviews anyway said an urban fantasy. And I thought that was kind of a, that that intrigued me. So you think that's an accurate portrayal of your, of your book? I, I usually describe it as an urban fantasy, and I usually add literary to the front of it, uh, like a literary urban fantasy, not because I'm trying to be pretentious, but just because to me, I think when people hear urban fantasy, a lot of the times the expectation gets wrapped up with paranormal romance. And I have nothing against paranormal romance. I enjoy reading it. It's just that's not what I wrote. So I'm really careful in in how I try to describe the book because I don't want people to be disappointed. (laughs) Okay, so this is what I get when I hear that phrase. It's kind of like, like the setting is kind of like modern times, but with fantasy elements. Would that be accurate? Yep, that's exactly it. Uh, the story is set in Ottawa, which is uh, the closest city I have to being a hometown. It's one of the cities I know best. So it's set in Ottawa in 2013, actually. Okay, so super, super modern. Yeah. All right. So it was set in 2013. Is that because that's when you started writing it? Like this is a long time in the in the making, or that's just the <laughs> it was a very long time in the making. I started thinking of it probably around 2004, and I think I started drafting it around 2012. So yes, it was 2013 probably when I was writing that section and it stayed in 2013 because I didn't want to have to go back and rewrite every time uh, (laughs) cell phones were updated or we learned something new about surveillance technology or or something like that. I I didn't want to have to keep up with all the tech upgrades. So I just kept it in the year I'd started writing it. Okay. So when you say your draft, so was it just, you just had this idea that you wanted to do and you just kept building and building and building off it? Yep. Pretty much uh, very, very slowly uh, because I work full time and I also publish nonfiction. So the fiction was a side, side, side project. And I wrote it at 100 words a day, every day. Took me about three years to do the first draft and five years before I had a finished manuscript. And then in total to get it published uh, was another three years. So that was an eight year project. Oh, wow. So it took a while. Yeah, no kidding. So I guess I've, I've never written a book. I mean, I've dreamt of it, but I don't think I, I had the talent. But so when you do that draft, like, do, were you working with an, with another editor to kind of get it to where it needed to be? Or is it mainly you? Or how does that work? Uh, the initial work was mainly me, but I also have a writing group. So it was me bouncing ideas off of people in my writing group, uh, which I mostly uh, I I got them to form a writing group because I wanted to write a novel and wanted help with it. So I said, hey, let's let's write stuff and give each other feedback. And uh, so that was uh, Dan Whiteside and Price, uh, Diana Napton. 
uh, who are in my writing group, uh, Adrian Orr has more recently joined us. And they were really good about just reading all the individual weird scenes I sent them and, and giving me feedback, which was a hard task for them because they didn't have the entire book to look at. They only had, you know, hey, here's 3,000 words. Hey, here's 4,000 words. Hey, here's 600 words sometimes that I would send to them. Yeah, no kidding. So how does Thanks. that how does that type of group work? Did you have to like get them to sign a... I will not blab about this <laughs> agreement. Oh, yeah. It's all on the honor system. We're friends. We're not about to uh, sell each other out to, uh, I, I don't even know who would have been interested in a pirate draft of my like half finished choppy manuscripts, but <laughs> never know. Yeah, no, we just, um, I mean, any kind of writing group, everyone just brings in their own drafts and we do our best to give each other feedback. Oh, I never thought of doing that. Learning so much already. <laughs> yeah, I should mention that when I did have a formal editor, that was uh, that was in that last three-year period where I was working on getting published. Uh, that was with New West Press, and uh, Jenna Butler was my editor. Okay, so another friend and contemporary helping out. Yes. Seems to be the way to go to get actually get your book done. <laughs> yeah, I, I was fortunate in that I knew a lot of talented people, and they were all willing to help me. For sure. Parker, you got any thoughts? Uh, actually, I do have a question. You mentioned, obviously, the urban fantasy setting set in 2013 and in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, that is, uh, that's, as you said, the closest you have to a hometown. So is there, well, of course, without getting too into spoilers for us who haven't read it, my, myself <laughs> and Josh included, uh, are there any other, I guess, inspirations or anything from, from your own life that you kind of injected into the book, I guess? Uh inspirations from what do you mean specifically like did you i guess for any any characters or any plot elements were there anything taken from from any happenings in your life or anything that you saw happening in the world i guess uh let's well a lot of it's based on um sort of 101 level communications theory uh because i'm a communications scholar you know in my spare time um <laughs> There's, there's a lot of sort of musing um, on, like, the ramifications of language, uh, the impossibility of communicating uh, truth to one another, the inability to really fully explain our stories to one another. And the book plays around a lot with that. Um, but also on a super nerdy level, I based a lot of the characters on different characters that I used to use in old role-playing games. Okay. <laughs> So some so some D and D and the like inspiration into. Is there any D and D in there? Let me think. There are at least two World of Darkness characters, uh, two superhero characters. One of them was either Rifts or GURF's tabletop, and I cannot remember which system. Um, but I took a bunch of old character ideas that had been living in my head, some of them for twenty years, and mix and match them and, and try to figure out how to put how I would put those those kernel ideas into uh, contemporary Ottawa. That's amazing. In my experience with with uh, role playing games, I've mainly just kind of ripped off characters from from video games or movies that I like and kind of just mismatched them together until I had something that resembled the character. <laughs> All right. So yeah. with your uh, your novel, if you had to describe it to somebody like. For instance, me that hasn't read it. What's like a, a sentence you would use to describe it to, to lure me in? It is a woman with synesthesia. And are, are you familiar with synesthesia? 
I'm not. I was actually going to ask you that, but then I couldn't remember the word, so I didn't want to bring yeah, it up. Well, it, it just means that um, her senses are kind of jumbled up together. So she sees sound or she hears things that she touches. Everything kind of gets mixed up together in her senses. And her synesthesia is actually a superpower that allows her to perceive multiple realities at the same time. Okay. So, right. Yeah, I kind of read the back and it said uh, like she finds like a secret world in an old... Uh theater hall or something is that accurate yes exactly uh which is one of the most of the places in the book are based on real places in ottawa the theater was something that i made up uh but it's she discovers uh these people who cannot exist in the current world because we uh live in a reality that doesn't acknowledge uh their truth or or their reality so they've actually taken shelter inside the walls of a theater and i don't mean inside the theater i mean literally inside the walls so there's this uh, extra dimensional space inside the walls that she discovers okay so not like the people under the stairs directed by wes craven <laughs> have you seen that one <laughs> i haven't and have you seen um stranger things i saw the first season and then i i don't know i'm terrible at keeping up with shows but I'm just and I I can't remember what season this scene was from, but like there's the creature is like pressing pressing its way outside of the wall, and you can see kind of its face and its hands and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's that same extra dimensional space, and it, it's kind of a similar idea, but it's not uh, it's not the horror element. They're not going to come through the wall and <laughs> eat you. They're inside the wall because they're hiding from you because your reality is slowly destroying them. Okay, well, color me intrigued. <laughs> Self as well. Of That's awesome. So here's a here's a kind of a fun question. I'm not. I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, wherever that saying is. But uh, like, if you had to see this imagined, do you think it would be like a Netflix series, a movie, or a cartoon? <sighs> Special effects wise, it would probably uh, be good as a cartoon because it would be expensive. Uh, in my head, it would do really well as one of those limited six-episode Netflix or Amazon uh, miniseries. Okay. Uh, I'm just thinking, like the way Amazon did Good Omens in, in six episodes. Uh, because I study television, uh, I'm a television scholar when I do communications, I definitely structured the novel very much like that sort of episodic uh, television series. Uh, the kind of slow moving ones, I'm thinking um, Marvel's Luke Cage series on Netflix, for example, where you get the very, the slow character reveal where, you know, episode three, you get flashbacks to the hero's origin and then episode four, you find out where the villain came from and that kind of thing. Uh, there are a lot of flashbacks in the book and it has that kind of episodic structure. That's cool. So when you're write it, write, writing this, like building this world in your brain, like so you probably wouldn't have written it. Like, I'm going to put a flashback here. Like you probably knew that beforehand or how does, I'm just trying to figure out how that would work while you're like your, whatever you call it, your way of thinking when you're crafting this. Oh, I had a point form outline. Uh, so, and, and that outline changed so many times when I was writing and I kept having to go back and, and rearrange things. But uh, I, I knew which scenes were going to happen in which order. 
And then at one point, uh, when one of my early readers thought the middle of the book was a little slow, uh, I took her advice uh, and changed up the order of some of the information, which means I printed out my outline and cut it into paper strips and actually rearranged it on the living room floor to figure out how I was going to structure the book. Okay, that's exactly what I was asking. So you, you yeah, literally... it got a little complex there near the end. <laughs> so it must have uh, must have been stressful, kind of doing that, like making sure it still made sense when you moved it over. You weren't accidentally spoiling stuff from that's going to happen later. Yeah, figure. Oh wait, now I'm now I put this clue in chapter three, but it needs to be in chapter six. Or yeah, there was a little of that. I I don't know if stressful is the right word, just because it was always something I was working on for fun. Yeah, I guess just you had to rack your brain, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but a was it a power. lot of work? Yeah, I mean, I think back now into all the work that went into that, and I'm just like, I, I don't know how I managed that, and I don't know how I possibly found the time. I'm just imagining I'm just imagining you on your living room floor with, with all these papers moved out, similar to, to that one meme that I see everywhere, and I think it's from Horrible Bosses, where there's just, like, the police board of pictures and all that with the red oh, with the yes. red wire to it yeah and he's yeah, looking yeah, at the camera the really like up angry in front of oh, it. yeah it always it sunny like I, oh always sunny it's the same guy from I, I did take a photo of the strips of paper once i had them in the correct order both, <laughs> both so i would know what i'd done and also so that i'd have a, a record of it you know 20 years down the line <laughs> that's awesome so since we haven't read the book did you did you wrap it up in a nice little package or did you leave it open for for more stories? Uh what how do I answer that? Because I left it open, but there's also no sequel. There okay. never will be. Nope. What about a prequel? Uh, what about an offshoot? <laughs> nope. No, it's uh it it is a single story. It, I mean I shouldn't say never, ever, ever, because who knows what I'm going to want to write, you know, 15, 20 years down the line. But I did intend it as a as a one shot story. Uh, so not everything is tied up in a neat bow, but the main story arc is complete and I'm not intending to continue onward uh, because one of the main themes of the book is our inability to completely convey stories to one another. Uh, that's also part of how the book ends is with our inability to completely convey stories to one another. So there are a few points that are deliberately left hanging. Okay. Yeah. We got to read this. Got to get this, this read there, Parker. It's just, it is, at the, it is, it is up at the top of my list now. I am, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so down for this, this, I mean, right from the get go, when you said urban fantasy, that, that, that spoke to me, I, with all the the shows or or games or books or whatever, urban fantasy is always the one that the setting that gets me the most hyped. Or, oh, perfect! I was just saying, Parker just wants to see my old role play characters. <laughs> that too. <laughs> all right. Well, Parker, you had some questions about her uh, how she got into writing, didn't you? Well, you kind of stole the big one that I was going to ask about about the writing process because that is that's always kind of the big thing that i'm personally interested so i tend to do that um, josh is a thief i'm telling you <laughs> <laughs> well um i guess here's a question um do you remember the first thing that you wrote when you were a kid like do your parents hang on to it or anything or do you have it somewhere um yes because when i was home 
last Christmas. Uh, remember when we could travel in good places? That was nice. Uh, when I was home last Christmas, I walked into my room at my parents' place and my mother had uh, somehow found everything I'd written from like grade three onward and left it in a pile on my nightstand in what I assume was some sort of personal attack. <laughs> Do you remember a certain quote out of it that stuck with you? Oh, no, not at all. I, you... you <laughs> If, if you want to pause for 20 seconds, I'll go grab one from upstairs. We can wait. <laughs> All right. Hang on. I'll see if I can find one. Oh, man. What do I have here? All right. We have, uh, oh, my first novel, which is written on about 10 pages of long foolscap. It's called Snowbird Philly of Fame, and I wrote it in grade three. I have some terrible poetry, um, looks to be somewhere around grade five, grade six. We have the very serious Oversea to Nova Scotia uh, immigrant story that I wrote in grade six. And somewhere around here, I can't find it. I'm going to find it eventually because I regret I don't know where it is. Uh, there's a short story that I wrote also around grade six, and it was about a mouse who was a starship captain. Holy cow. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. You remember One day name? I'm going to do something with that starship captain mouse, I swear. <laughs> that sounds like a, like a children's book it's dying to be made. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's That was nice of your mom to keep everything. My dad is also a pack rat, but... My wife is yeah, not. I, so I don't I, even know where she had these, but they have now all <laughs> appeared and I have to deal with them. Here's, a, here's an extra suitcase full of stuff for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Parker, you said you had a had a question you wanted answered. Well, it's it's kind of one of the more generic questions. But uh, who would you say whether whether growing up or or recently who would you say are some of the bigger influences that you've had in writing whether they were people that you knew in your personal life or people that you just were inspired by their works oh man okay well this snowbird of philly of flame is dedicated uh to mr bissell the best teacher in the world uh which is what i wrote on the second page uh that's <laughs> daryl bissell he's in uh comox bc and I still send him a Christmas card every year. He was a lovely teacher. He was in. He was my grade three teacher. And uh, in terms of, in terms of writing influences, uh, hang on. I'm sorry. That is the automatic cat feeder. I don't know if you can hear that going <laughs> off in the background. What's your cat's name? Uh, my cat's name is Khan. Khan. K H A N. Wrath of. <laughs> in Xanadu did Kublai Khan, etc. Love it. It's good for screaming his name across the house. <laughs> Spinning in a circle. <laughs> okay, cat feeder is done. What was I saying? Oh, yes. In terms of uh, authors who've inspired me, I mean, Peter, Peter S. Beagle was foundational. Um, he's written so many books that I love, starting with The Last Unicorn. Uh, but uh, The Innkeeper's Song, uh, Fine and Private Place, uh, his work is so uh, poetic and imaginative and, and flowing, and he masters all those quiet personal details that really make a character. Uh, otherwise, uh, Robin McKinley, Neil Gaiman, more recently, I have absolutely loved um, N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy. 
or uh, work from Charlie J. Nander's uh, Nnedi Okorafor. I can just keep listing things, honestly. <laughs> so where do you find time to read all this stuff while you're writing nonstop, watching? Ah, that is an excellent <laughs> question. I, I, I don't know that I am writing nonstop. Uh, I go through phases. I do try to keep up on that uh, 100 words a day, which is normally, you know, five, six sentences that I can cram in. Uh, usually, I mean, sometimes even last minute before I go to bed. When I was trying to get the novel finished, I was keeping a uh, laptop on my nightstand and I would literally like get into bed, turn on the laptop, type six sentences and, and then go to sleep. <laughs> and then reading is mostly something that I fit in Christmas vacation or summer vacation uh, or any time where, you know, I've got uh, a couple of days free, but it's it's not something that I do every single day. It's something that I fit in when I can. So I've got a bunch of books piled up right now that I'm looking forward to reading on the break. Yeah, well, it's not like you're going to be able to go out partying. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, town. not so much. Can't go anywhere or do anything. So uh, that's actually been really good for my keeping up on reading this year. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I got, we got one more generic question for you before we get into some fun stuff and then let you get on with your evening. But uh, yeah, just just wondering if you could give some advice for maybe some people that want to go your route and get something published. Like what? Like what's just some easy stuff? They, well, not easy, but, you know, simple stuff they can do to start getting on that path to getting something published. Uh, be aware of the fact that your first draft is going to be garbage. <laughs> and honestly, because that's the point where so many people get frustrated. And my first draft was utter trash. And all of my first drafts are complete trash, especially when I wrote something at 100 words a day for three years. I ended up with a complete disjointed mess. But it is so much easier to fix something that's on the page than it is to just stare at a blank page. Yeah, for sure. So... I guess you would also say then once you started getting your 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 writing group in there, like you kind of have to have be able to let go of some of your stuff and not be super sensitive when people actually give you feedback. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, especially when you are working with uh, trusted friends or an editor whose work that you like, because their goal isn't to criticize and rip apart your work. Their goal is to help you make your work better. Right. So you kind of got to not take it so personally and look at it from another yeah. angle, kind of. Is that or, would that be good? Advice? You know what? Take it personally. And uh, if, if you get a rejection, if you get, you know, a bunch of changes from your editor that you don't like, feel free to fume about it and stomp around the house and, you know, eat all the chocolate. And then the next day or however long you need, sit down with it and take a real good look at it and start making the changes. Uh, you don't necessarily have to do every single change that someone recommends, but definitely consider it. Uh, so, I mean, it's okay to be irritated at first because I think that's a normal reaction to everyone when their baby gets criticized. Uh, but then take some time to calm down and then do something uh, with the feedback that you've been given because you need to recognize that it's trying to come from a, a constructive place. Yeah, was there, was there certain parts that you, like that was the hill you would die on? You're like, no, never changing this. You can't change my mind. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, when you, <laughs> if you do ever read the book, there are parts where it plays with, um, images 
And in an ideal world, like if anyone ever wants to do, you know, the uh, special limited edition of Inveritas, hint, hint, it will be an illustrated edition. But the edition that we published, uh, because, you know, uh, New West Press, although they are lovely, do not have the money to do special illustrated editions. It has text boxes that describe the illustrations that would have been in the book that are not in the book. And to me, that was incredibly important because it has to do with the overall theme of the book. It, it acknowledges that information is missing. Hmm. And it was really important to me to keep those descriptions in there, even though they're weird and not everyone always understands why they're there. So that, that was my hill. And I did have that conversation with a couple of people is, yes, absolutely, the image boxes remain. <laughs> you gotta fight for fight for what you believe in you know <laughs> yeah exactly and i mean there's there's gonna be someone listening to this podcast who's like oh god she's totally wrong those should have been yanked but uh I, you have to decide what changes can i make and what changes are just going to make this not my book anymore right and that's going to be a different line for everyone for sure and that's that is something that i hear all the time and i think that's when we talked about uh, like adapting it for a different medium, you hear that like nightmares all the time of the author writes this <laughs> great story and then you know Hollywood gets its paws on it and just completely destroys it. So, yeah, I mean, some adaptations are some adaptations are good, some adaptations are not my favorite, but there's always going to be that conflict uh, where yeah, if two people are trying to create the same thing, they're never going to create the, the the same product twice, and and someone's vision is going to get compromised. Hundred mm percent, -hmm. especially when Hollywood's it, involved. Then yeah, every fan is going to have their own interpretation of what it'll be, and then when film or show isn't that vision, well, this was garbage, obviously. Yeah, see, that's what I need though—a fandom large enough to be angry when the mini series for my book comes out and doesn't match what was in their head. You know, I'll be okay with that. <laughs> well, isn't that why uh, Bill Watterson never like made a cartoon out of Calvin and Hobbes? Cause he's just afraid of letting people down. Yeah. He just didn't want to commercialize his work at all. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think I'm pretty sure I've read that on the internet. So, you know, it's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then yes, absolutely. All right. Well, Parker, do you have anything, any other questions about her book before we can ask her one more fun one and let her get on with her night? Well, not necessarily about this book in particular, but so far, I mean, an artist's work is never done. But so far, what would you say? What's the magnum opus? What are what is the thing you've you've wrote that you are the most proud of? Oh my God! It's this novel. All right. I cannot. I cannot begin to tell you. It is so far. This novel is the best thing that I've written in my life so far, and I am so proud of it. There we go. If that isn't if that isn't enough of an acknowledgement that we all need to read this, I don't know what is. <laughs> Although they might not available have from to... fine retailers everywhere. Is it in chapters? It is actually. Yeah. Oh, nice. I know uh, a friend of mine. Um. Got it on uh, on an ebook the other day. As soon as I told her about it, she's like, "Oh, it's on. It's a lot cheaper to get it on an ebook." Mm -hmm. In case you're a cheap. Uh, it is actually, and I, it's yeah, it's on Kobo. It's on um, Amazon Kindle. Uh, I think All Lit Up is selling it as an ebook as well. If someone prefers indie sites. Yeah, I like to hold it in my hands. You know, 
really soak it soak it in stare at a screen yeah. enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i tend to buy a lot of ebooks because i am running out of room on my shelves <laughs> uh but when i truly love a book i will then go pick up the hard copy because yeah I, I love holding them in my hands yeah for sure and i assume that you enjoy supporting authors considering that you are also an author i do enjoy supporting <laughs> authors yes i know it's the same for me because i play music so i try to support other bands because i know it feels good when somebody buys your stuff yeah absolutely yeah if i really love this book i will buy it twice i'm i'm the same way with video games like <laughs> Got the you. amount of the amount of games i have three or four copies of <laughs> i think that's called like obsession though not supporting the creators <laughs> eh, <potato. laughs> same stuff okay all right well uh, here's a fun question to let you get out of here um what is your go-to simpsons quote mm. oh there are so many <laughs> probably but main street's still all cracked and broken sorry, sorry mom, mom. <laughs> mom has, has spoken, spoken. <laughs> Monorail? What I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right. Monorail. 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 That's a good one. That was back when, uh, it's actually funny. This is the second time I've talked about Simpsons back-to-back episodes for this, but it's a big part of my life, but. Oh, I just figured it was going to be, I figured that was the question you asked everyone on (laughs) sign-off. Well, I just know that you love the Simpsons. At least you used to. I don't know. I don't like the new ones very much. Well, that's I, I had to stop making Simpsons jokes in class because I realized that uh, the episodes that I was quoting were before most students were born. <laughs> Parker's many an old soul, though. He knows all the old classic ones. Yeah, many of them were before me, but I can still I can still tell you all about the monorail or about why nobody ever picks Italy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we could ask one question. I'm just. I'm going to preface this by saying I have no dog in this fight at all. I don't know how I feel Uh about it. But as a critical media scholar, what is your opinion on how they went in? Like they changed the voice of Carl and gave the job to an African-American. I think they did the same. with, Or did they just get rid of Apu completely? Can't remember. I I believe they were going to recast Apu completely, uh, completely in favor marginalized voices uh, need more representation in Hollywood. And those are really obvious places to start. You don't think they should just get rid of the Simpsons because it hasn't been funny in 10 years. <laughs> that's a different question. Okay. That, that's a completely different question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious of your thoughts. I figured that you would have an opinion because it's kind of your wheelhouse. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, my opinion is that uh, the whitewashing of those characters uh, in terms of their voice casting uh, has been an issue for years, particularly in terms of Apu, who's been um, a very thick cultural stereotype played by a white man, and that has absolutely been an issue. Yeah, for sure. And I guess it was the same guy, like Hank Azaria, that did his voice as well as Carl. But Carl is just, he's not really a, a stereotype. He's just a dude that happens to be African-American. But yeah, he, I think, yeah, he also gave up that role as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Cleveland on Family Guy was just recast. That one I'm not. That one I don't know about. That one, I, that like one I wouldn't I, be surprised. I just haven't heard about that one specifically. Yeah, because I know it's a, it was a white guy who did that voice, and yeah, 
He stepped aside, I believe. I don't think the Cleveland show is on anymore, though, because it wasn't that good. <laughs> no. Neither was the Source show. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, there are few enough opportunities for marginalized actors in Hollywood that to take some of the opportunities that do exist and hand them to white actors uh, has absolutely been an issue. So, yeah, I'm pleased to see The Simpsons making that change. They just got to bring back Conan O'Brien and make it funny again. And then I'll yeah. be back on board. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a little bit busy these days, though. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your thoughts on that. I know that was a little bit off off the grid. <laughs> um yeah parker you got any final questions for um well i guess same thing i asked my last uh interviewee i guess as of late i mean obviously you've maybe had a little bit more time to consume as you mentioned whatever media so what's been your big obsession of late uh right now i'm binging van helsing on netflix which I thought it was going to be a period piece, and it's not. And it's uh, this contemporary post-apocalyptic thing, which maybe was not the best choice to start binging in this, the apocalypse of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm partway through season three. All right. Well, I guess we can let you get on. Your package still hasn't shown up, so that's disappointing, but I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> It's, it's supposed to arrive anytime before 9 p.m., so fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> awesome. Well, do you have any final messages before we let you go? Uh, I don't think so. It's been a pleasure being here, and if anyone does pick up the book, I hope they enjoy it. You know what? The last person or the last author we had on this show, I know one of my friends went out and bought the book, so see if we can be two for two. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> well, yeah. I can I'm get not... one sale out of this podcast. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's, that's what we're here, to get everybody exactly one sale. Yep. <laughs> Since we gave away our zine for free. Nice. <laughs> All right, yeah, we, we very much so appreciate it. And yeah, best of luck navigating through this bizarre terrain that is our lives. But it's going to get better. I know it's going to It, it get will absolutely get better, yes. And in the meantime, hang tight. Yeah, hang in there, everyone. All right. Well, thanks again, and have a great night. Thanks for tuning in to the Brutal Reality Digest online podcast, also known as Bird Drop. That's going to be a wrap for 2020, but we will see you once again in the new year. So make sure you're checking out the physical zine and logging in to BrutalRealityDigest.com. This has been Josh Hada and Parker Vakaroth, and we will see you in the new year. Stay brutal. Going to be garbage. <laughs> Going to be garbage. All right. Going to be garbage. Okay. Going to be garbage. All right. It was a white guy who did that voice. Okay. It was a white guy who did that voice. <laughs> it was a white guy who did that voice. Okay. It was a white guy who did that voice. Going to be garbage. <laughs> Going to be garbage. All right. Going to be garbage. Okay. Going to be garbage. All right. <laughs>